you able to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks. We talk all about the Canadian GDP, our latest results, U.S. jobs, and what to make of that, the recent oil headlines out of Saudi Arabia, as well as China, and what this all means for equity markets. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our co-CIO of equities, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back. Great to be here, Matt. I thought that we'd start today's episode by uh, taking a closer look at Canada. Uh, recently, we had the GDP number come out. Uh, what did you make of that number and anything to be concerned about? Well, I think to start with, the Canadian GDP number was definitely a downsized surprise. We saw a number of negative 0.2% quarter over quarter. And given that the consensus was for growth of 1.2%, um, I think it's hard to say that there was anything really positive in that data point. Now, when we look at the drivers of that decline, we saw it was fairly broad-based, things like housing, investment, inventory, builds, um, imports, and household spending. And when we think about extrapolating throughout the year, 2023 could be a 1% GDP growth year for this country. So pretty weak uh, GDP growth. Now, of course, the reason for the slowdown can in some ways be explained by idiosyncratic factors, such as the wildfires that started in, in June, and we had a federal government worker strike also in the second quarter. Right. Um, but the weak consumer insights that we are hearing from Canadian retailers are suggesting that this is more than an anomaly in the data. Um, we're going to hear from the Bank of Canada this week, and we think that given this weak GDP number, and we also saw weak consumer confidence last week, they are likely probably well uh, set up to move back to the sidelines. And I guess uh, we'll hear more from the Bank of Canada, but in, in some ways, is this what the Bank of Canada has uh, sort of desired? I do think in some sense, um, you know, the Bank of Canada is is very much focused on inflation and taming CPI, but the sort of avenue for that uh, does come from growth. And so it would be very hard to see inflation to come down substantially without seeing an impact on GDP growth. And actually, I think that this is one of the things that's really been missing from a lot of the analysis about um, the economy and economic growth that... um, People have uh, thought that we could see one without the other, and that's unlikely to be the case. Right. And and I guess maybe taking a look at the rest of the year or, or what you're expecting, is, is this sort of the, the initial indication of those uh, large rate hikes that we've seen? People always talk about a time lag before it works its way through the real economy. Is that the primary culprit here, or is there something else that we should be looking at or, or concerned about? Well, there's two things at play here. I think the first is the time lag. 
And it's not a perfect science. And, and I think, you know, I, I think people are just waking up to um, the interest rate picture that is in the backdrop here, both in Canada, the United States and around the world. So I think that's that's one aspect. But the other, which um, should not be, you know, sh- should not be forgotten is, is that we, we have gone through an extraordinary time. And so for central bankers to calibrate the impact of interest rate increases when we went through a pandemic period right. that resulted in um, a high accumulation of savings and pent up demand that we have just seen really come through the economic system, if you will, in the face of higher interest rates. I think we're getting to the end of that. So the savings numbers have really been drawn down and a lot of that pent up demand has really played out. I, I just saw a story today, for example, in the Wall Street Journal, and the headline was something about referencing flight prices um, coming down uh, for the fall and a backdrop that we haven't seen for two years where flight prices were really just increasing and people were paying right. them willingly. And so we're starting to see more of a normalization and, and that normal impact of higher interest rates that we would expect. Perfect. Um, makes makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sort of double clicking on that. I want to move to the U.S. next. Uh, there was a recent jobs number that came out, uh, as well as some adjustments, I understand. Can you walk us through uh, what the headlines were and, and what implications that might have? Sure. And I think the summary is what we're really seeing is a recalibration of the U.S. labor market to meet a decline in aggregate demand from a slowing GDP growth sort of speaks to my comments about about Canada, where we had a bit of a mismatch and it's hard to have sort of higher interest rates, CPI coming down and not to see any impact on economic growth. And in the past week, uh, there were really three important data points. The first one was the JOLTS data, which is the job opening measure. And um, the data actually showed a continued downtrend in openings, which is a signal that labor demand is softening. Job openings came in at 8.8 million, which was down from 9.2 million in June. And why that number is important is because June was also a revised down number. So I think with you know weaker July numbers, a downward revision in June, the downtrend is firmly in place for job openings. The second data point, which was also important, is the quits rate for July, which has now dropped to below pre-pandemic levels. And the quits rate is is really watched to gauge the mood of the labor market, if you will, because when jobs are plentiful, people will easily move, um, obviously, for typically for higher wages. But when jobs are perceived as more scarce, people will tend to stay in their current roles. And then the third data point, um, all of which are you know equally important, is uh, the non-farm payrolls data for August. So, although the 187,000 jobs that was announced exceeded consensus, there's still signs of weakness in the labor market because there were downward revisions impacting the prior two months. And another interesting tidbit was that the um, increased labor market participation in the month caused the U.S. unemployment rate actually to climb from 3.5% to 3.8%. So we want to think through, you know, why would labor participation uh, come up so much in a short period of time? And I think the only reasonable explanation for the increase 
participation for workers re-entering the workforce comes back to the point I made about pandemic era savings and the drawdown of those savings. So now we're starting to hit that point where people feel like, okay, now I need to get back into the workforce. I've drawn down my excess savings. And so that has increased um, the labor market participation leading to this higher unemployment rate. So it sounds like some indications of the demand for jobs going down and the supply of people willing to take jobs going up. What, what should I infer uh, for U.S. consumer uh, that, that drives that market generally in the U.S., given those two, um, I guess, are just two data points, so not to make too much of it, but uh, what, what would you drive from that? Yeah, so I think you're right to point out the demand and supply side of, of labor because we uh, really hadn't seen both of those trends in play here where we have demand for labor coming down and supply going up, right? So we've got both sides of the equation working here to help um, temper the strong uh, labor market that we had seen in the previous uh, data points. Now, as that sort of translates into consumer confidence, uh, we also saw consumer confidence move lower in the U.S. in August with the conference board's index um, declined pretty substantially, actually, from 117 to 106. And unsurprisingly, spending plans for things like, you know, big ticket items like autos and homes moved lower. So, right. again, everything is really coming together here um, to indicate that the U.S. economy and the U.S. consumer uh, is losing steam. Now, we had observed this in Canada, certainly um, ahead of the U.S., but we're starting to see more signs here uh, in, in the U.S., even though, as I said, Canada is a little bit ahead of the trend here. And based on that, there was, there was always discussion. I think we even had the discussion earlier this year about hard landing, soft landing, no landing. Does this um, sort of reduce the probability of that no landing uh, scenario and we're firmly in the trench of either soft or, or hard? I think it reduces the chance of the no landing scenario. Um, I think that indications right now are definitely pointing towards a softer landing. Now, that's unless and until um, when it comes to the view on a hard landing. So we don't have indications of data that would say that we're heading towards a hard landing. But okay. I don't know that we would in, without the benefit of hindsight, if, if you will. So things have... I, I would say changed um, pretty quickly here hmm. in North America when we look at the data. And, and I think there was a time um, over the last couple of months where people started to wonder why our economies were not really reacting to higher interest rates. But right. I think we're, we're, we are definitely starting to see that uh, here and now. And so um, the soft landing language is starting to creep into the narrative a lot more. Maybe we'll leave uh, North America uh, for the time being and, and move more globally in search for optimism, perhaps. Um, let's talk about the the oil story. Uh, Saudi Arabia has just come out and said that they're going to extend uh, the production cuts that they had implemented to the end of the year. Does this put a, a floor on the oil price and, and with upward pressure? I think, again, you know, in the realm of surprises, this was also another surprise. Um, the expectation was that these production cuts would be in place for maybe another month. And so mm -hmm. to see this come in out to the end of the year 
was certainly a surprise. And, and you can see in the reaction, whether it's through Brent or WTI, that pricing has uh, moved higher today in, in reaction to that surprise. What you're seeing here is certainly a commitment to keep prices higher, especially in the face of what may be some weakness from the slowdown in in the Chinese economy and overall globally. And, and you talked about you know optimism globally. Um, we really haven't seen a lower demand globally for oil in spite of expectations that that Chinese economic growth is going to come in weaker than expectations. But I think the most important point here um, with with oil, and you're seeing this reaction in the bond market today, is that. Current levels, if you if you look at WTI at $87, this is a pretty important level because we're actually right about where we were a year ago, point to point. Um, but more importantly, I was looking at the last 12 months average pricing and $87 is about 12% above the average over the past 12 hmm. months. So what you're going to see, and I think why the bond market is reacting today with higher interest rates is because of this 12% increase, you're going to start to see a positive contribution to CPI or inflation from oil prices from these levels. And this is where we're in a very tricky spot here, particularly with uh, the Federal Reserve, who you know have talked about, I would say, a little more hawkishly than the Bank of Canada about their commitment to uh, keeping pricing and, and targeting that 2% CPI level. And we've been talking, uh, as have many, for um, all of 2023 about higher for longer when it comes to interest rates. And you're really seeing that uh, trend play out here, oil being a contributing factor. So I think that uh, investors should not underestimate the importance of the way oil is trading um, now vis-a-vis how it was, say, even a year ago and, and the price moves that we're seeing. Hmm. You referenced uh, the Chinese weak uh, demand for oil in, in that answer. Um, we've seen a, a fair amount of negative press recently out of China, whether that be home lenders uh, or, or the weak, weakness in manufacturing. Uh, what's your view on China right now and, and how are you currently uh, viewing that situation? Yeah, so... China's economy has certainly been slow to bounce back from the um, reopening and and certainly surprised many, including ourselves. Um, We would have thought that China would have been a stronger uh, or would have experienced a stronger recovery this year. Um, And I think one aspect that's been notable in China has been uh, the property downturn. And as we know, what we experienced in, you know, 2007, eight in in North America, a property downturn where you may have experienced an overbuild in property um, is not easy to recover from. And although we've seen some positive moves with stimulus through central bankers in in China to try and revive the um, property economy or property-based economy, I think that's had very little impact thus far. So it's 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 going to take a while as any sort of property bubble um, will take to, to recover. The latest news is really um, just about another uh, property, another major property developer, Country Garden Holdings, which is, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest property developer by contracted sales. 
um, things started to um, become a concern in early August when um, the company scrapped an equity issue that um, I think would have added a lot of optimism to the market if people saw that investors were willing to get behind the Chinese property market. And as a result of that, it ended up being a bit of um, sort of fed on its or sorry, fed on itself. Um, right. The company's contracted sales were down significantly in July. So, uh, you know, as, as I said here, we, we experienced this in North America as well. A property market downturn is a really tricky one for policymakers to manage out of because any stimulus to support the market can lead to higher speculation, which is precisely the behavior that you're trying to eliminate. So unfortunately, the best sort of way out of it is, is to have some casualties. And I think that's what investors are fearing and, and they don't really know what the extent of the impact will be uh, in in the market. But they, they certainly have it right to say that um, there's just a lot of uncertainty here in outcome and, and maybe it's premature um, to be going back into looking into investing in at least the Chinese property market specifically. Now, there's also you know, reason to be contrarian as well. This is still the second biggest economy in the world. Although growth has been disappointing, um, you know, we suspect that growth will resume as, as it's cyclical, as it is in, in every uh, major economy. And so while there has been a slow, um, you know, resumption of consumer confidence coming out of the pandemic, eventually uh, consumer confidence will come back in, into play and um, this economy will recover. But that's not where we are today. Maybe just to, to conclude, taking a recap of what we've talked about. So it sounds like weakness in both in North America. Um, you have uh, higher oil prices feeding potentially inflation, uh, some weakness in China. But if I look at equity markets uh, and I look, say, over the past month or so, they're largely flat in North America, at least. And I'm curious what your view on on equities is at, at this uh, stage uh, and what to expect from them uh, for the balance of the year. It's a good observation, Matt. I think we would have expected to see um, a little bit more weakness in equities in the face of this backdrop. The last sort of week or so when we saw the weaker economic data, equities really cheered that, you know, it was really right. the case where, or celebrated that, I should say, it was really the case where bad news was good news for equities. Um, our concern would be that that could be uh, a temporary sort of euphoria, if you will, um, mm -hmm. or sugar high, if the economy continues to deteriorate. And you asked the question about soft landing, hard landing, and it's really hard to tell, um, obviously, into the future how the economy will transpire from here. Right. But we do expect it to continue to experience a, a soft patch here. And typically, the market is, is excited because it feels like we're getting closer to rate cuts from or the peak in rates and then rate cuts. But I think that the central bankers are going to be a bit slow um, to cut rates here because they really don't want to see the resumption of inflation into the economy. And they have often referenced periods in history where that was the case in the 70s and 80s. So I think that there, there is a chance for disappointment here in how policy will play out and, and how 
that will transpire when it comes to yields. And so I think there is still some risk maybe that's not being priced to the extent that it should be into mm. equities as a result of the recent bounce. Maybe we'll, we'll end there. Leslie, proceed with caution uh, on equities, I think is my takeaway. But uh, I really appreciate your insights walking us through the major events around the world. I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for having me once again, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 